Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Resolved in isolation, he can, he can, that can be, uh, say, luck margins. But then we've got too many games now that we've lost points. So we, we need to look at um, the whole setup of the team, whole balance of the team. Maybe, um, maybe something has to uh, has to give. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic, and I'm afraid it's another post-mortem after a disastrous final few minutes in Leicester and a pretty disappointing result and performance all round, really. We'll go through all of that, we'll just talk about it all, including what it means for the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and we'll answer your questions on the situation as well. So joining us, as usual, it's the familiar crew. Good morning to you, Laurie Whitwell. How are you? okay, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And of course, editor of United We Stand and athletic contributor, Andy Mitten. Hello, Ian. Okay, uh, let's start by hearing straight away, I think this is right to do, from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his comments after that defeat to Leicester. When you look at the game after, the four goals we concede are all very poor. And uh, when you concede four goals and perform like we did, we don't deserve to uh, continue that run. So... Uh, definitely performance was uh, uh, very below par and not good enough. You know, we started uh, getting a very, very good goal with uh, with Mason and we're knocking on the door to get a, get another one. But then uh, sloppy play and we concede that first, uh, first goal, which was um, disappointing. Second half, uh, still end-to-end, and, but they created the more chances and... Two goals at set pieces, disappointing. And of course, ten seconds after you've uh, you've uh, equalised, that shouldn't happen uh, at all. I picked the team, and uh, Harry showed no reaction after the after what he's uh, he's gone through. And for me, that was I hold my hand up if uh, if if that doesn't uh, work out, and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, when we concede four, it's not. Uh, I probably made a couple of uh, bad decisions. Yeah, you know. To win any game of football, especially in the Premier League, you need to have legs. You need to have uh, that defensive mindset to uh, to break to break their play and then attack yourself. And we just couldn't win enough balls in say in that area. And that's um, something that we've been really good at. That's one of our strengths to uh, get to the ball and sharp and go forward. And definitely that's um, not been the case today. You know, in, in isolation, when you when you lose a game, that, that can happen. But obviously, lately we've not in, been in, in great form. We've lost too many points, and that's now uh, something that we really have to look at. And you might have to uh, to change a way of uh, might, as you say, 
do we need more legs in there? Do we? Uh, what do we need? That's uh, we've had a long soul-searching international break as well and then um, we prepared really well for this and unfortunately now we, it's one of them again that you have to really analyze and see okay that's uh, decisions I've got to make and the one positive is obviously Marcus coming back in which will give us a threat going forward uh, he's got legs he's sharp and uh, that was a big bonus you know uh, I've got many good players and every game is a different game and of course Fred, Edinson, you, you miss them but that's no excuse. We, I'm not going to put any excuses for the team I put out there because it's a team full of top footballers and um, we've uh, just uh, not produced anything near good enough. Yeah, pretty stark, those comments, really, from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The one that stood out to me there, Andy, said that they'd done a lot of soul-searching over the international break. Well... There's actually more questions than anything else after that Leicester game, wasn't there? There's going to be even more soul-searching this week. That's the immediate response. You would think that having had all that soul-searching and the good preparation, which the manager talked about, albeit missing a couple of players, Manchester United wouldn't then concede four goals against Leicester City in such a, a shambolic fashion. And that's what happened. United have not conceded more than once so far this season apart from the game in Bern uh, when the team were down to 10 men and to concede four and, and in that way. It just adds on to what we've spoken about in, in recent weeks. The, the mood has slumped even even further. Uh, Oli spoke well then, but there are doubts about him from Manchester United supporters. There are doubts in the away end at Leicester at the weekend and they're understandable. I'm 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 gutted. I, I I feel that this season was about continuing to see United improve to build on the second place. I was happy with the summer uh, transfers of, of Varane, Sancho, Ronaldo. Was really encouraged going into this season, and now I'm starting to question: Were they good signings after all? I think on on balance, I'd still say yes. But I watched the games. I know how I feel. The results are poor. The performances are poor. There's so many questions, uh, like you say, and I think I'm just feeling a lowering of expectations now. And it wasn't supposed to be like this. This was supposed to be a season where Manchester United properly challenged. And as we speak now, and if this may change, Liverpool seem miles off Manchester United. Chelsea do. Manchester City do. And We've been here before with, with Oli Gunners, Manchester United, and he does tend to get results when they're needed. But some of this should absolutely be on him. He's the manager. He's the man who takes responsibility. But also some of the players, so many of them were poor at Leicester. So many of them have been surprisingly poor all season. And regular starters, you know, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, they've not had good seasons so far. Mason Greenwood has. David De Gea has. We spoke at length. In the last podcast about Paul Pogba, I thought he was really poor um, at Leicester. Oli Gunnar talked about all those names up front. Great, but what about behind them? If you're going to lose the ball, if there's no control there. Right from the start, I thought it was a terrible first half. I tweeted at half-time how worried I was. And that was that was my feeling. And I might, I might have been wrong. Manchester United can pull out these moments of brilliance where, where they come out and... 
and score and get those late winners like against Villarreal. But my overriding feeling, I, I don't know about you two, is, is just real disappointment at the moment. Yeah, I think everyone can relate to that, Andy. No doubt at all. Uh, we'll talk about Harry Maguire. We'll talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll talk about Paul Pogba, those three in particular. But Laurie, Andy touched on it there. Usually when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been facing a period like this or question marks like this, he tends to come up with a response that maybe we didn't expect. Now, Perhaps he's just teeing it up for the ultimate comeback for the match against Liverpool this weekend. However, you've written a piece where you sort of said it felt different at Leicester. Why was that? Yeah, just because I felt like the Leicester game was the one where the response was expected. You know, that's usually been when Solskjaer's team, when he's against the wall, when his um, reputation's being questioned, when he's... Uh, position as, as Manchester United managers in doubt that's when he comes out with the results so you think back to that uh, winter period um, against you know Tottenham and Man City back-to-back wins when it looked really difficult um, and then after losses to Liverpool and Burnley later that season go to Stamford Bridge win and that you know culminates in that unbeaten run that, that gets them to third um, last season after the 6-1 home defeat to Spurs when again you know massive questions about Solskjaer United go to Newcastle and win 4-1 and then clearly the 3-1 away at Everton after the um, defeat to Istanbul um, and the kind of unbeaten run that followed from that and United you know, briefly going top. So it felt like this was the moment when usually Solskjaer would, would come out with something and, and, and produce his team would produce a result. The fact that it actually went the other way and it, it you know, the worries, the concerns were exacerbated rather than eased um, is, is concerning and that's why it feels different. And I think, you know, people that have studied United over the last three years since Solskjaer's been there and now sort of worried and thinking, can he come out of this situation? When you listen to him in the post-match press conference, he knows what's wrong. You know, he's not, he's an intelligent football person um, in that regard. It's just whether he can actually then make the calls and, and, and produce the team on the pitch and with the coaching sessions at Carrington, which we obviously touched on in the piece that we did last week, um, whether they are good enough to you know, arrest what looks like a, a downward spiral at the moment because you look at Liverpool and the way they are a team and United are far from that at the moment. Solskjaer hinted at it, didn't he? You know, he knows that the, the way United pressed out of possession wasn't good enough, wasn't cohesive. Does he need to change the personnel? You know, we'll get on to Cristiano Ronaldo, which would obviously be a massive call, but that, that I think is what he's getting at, basically. So he knows what's wrong, but it's just then actually having the tools and the authority to make those changes to, to produce United into a, a more cohesive unit. He needs to do that now, though, doesn't he? I mean, Laurie, from sort of the, the noises you're hearing, the, the people you've spoken to, how much doubt do you think there is about his position moving forward now? From a board position, there is no doubt they're unwavering in their faith towards him because of the credit in the bank that he has from previous seasons in terms of rebuilding the club after the trauma of Jose Mourinho. Um, the fact that he's brought academy players through, the fact that he has recruited pretty well. Um, I know, I guess the jury's still out on a few, um, a couple of you know summer signings, but I feel like you know United. You know, on paper, have got the recruitment pretty pretty well. So, those kind of things are in the plus column for him. Um, and yeah, all the word from above is that you know he is the guy for United. Um, you know, he signed a, a new contract in the summer. Mike Phelan signed a new contract recently. So the the kind of whole coach, coaching structure is is there for the foreseeable. Um, now, obviously, you know results will dictate that. You know, it's obviously a very difficult run coming up, um, and that result will be tested if United go on and have bad results. You know, against Liverpool, against Tottenham, against Manchester City, you've got 
back-to-back games against Atalanta and they won 4-1 away at the weekend um, in Serie A. So you've got a really difficult run. But so far, all the noises are from above that they're very, very happy with him um, and that you know they feel like this is a, a a kind of storm to be ridden out. Now, obviously, that that you know could change in terms of the results, but um, clearly, on the coaching side, from the players' point of view, you, you could understand if there's sort of questions about what direction are we going in. We, there will be creeping doubts, you know, if this isn't immediately arrested. Andy, um, I could ask another question, but it's going to be along the same lines of what I just said to Laurie. I think the line at the weekend was 100% faith in Solskjaer from the people who need to have 100% faith in Solskjaer, I suppose. But is that really reflected in everyone else? Well, it's not among the fans, but the fans aren't making the decision. And immediately after matches, there's this huge reaction. As Fans are human, aren't they? You, you live the game, you react to it. And I did the same. I was absolutely gutted on Saturday and a little bit less gutted on, on Sunday because you invest so much into it, but you can't actually control that much of what you're invested in in some ways you feel powerless which adds to the frustration as Laurie said from the club's perspective they're not doubting the manager they are supporting the manager absolutely steadfastly so Um, we speak to people inside the club my understanding is that the mood actually um, among the players and in training is not divided like it was towards the end of Louis van Gaal's time, David Moyes' time, Josie Mourinho's time. Got coaches there working their backsides off to the detriment of their um, private lives, their families, even their health, to try and get Manchester United right. I speak to people on and off the record, ask about individuals. I'm not coming back with any major red flags about some of the coaches. And I think I hear people being very critical of Michael Carrick, um, Kieran McKenna, uh, Mike Phelan, some of the coaches are, and I, I think that's really risky because a lot of it is based on on assumptions. And I learned a, a pretty painful lesson with that twenty years ago when we printed in United We Stand that the assistant manager Jim Ryan wasn't up to scratch, and it was based on very little. It was based on what fans were saying, but they weren't basing it on that much. And one of Jim's best friends came up to me in a bar in La Coruña before a Deportivo game and said what you're basing that on and he stuck up for his mate and he was quite right to do that and I just see some inaccuracies now from fans because they're desperate because they want to find a solution they can see what's going wrong on the pitch and the manager can as well and they want to find a solution and for some that's changed the manager and fans are absolutely entitled to to have doubts I think it's legitimate to have doubts It's, it's one of the three biggest football clubs in the world. And Ollie's been afforded a patience which you simply wouldn't get at two of the others, Barcelona and Real Madrid. I heard one comment on Spanish radio on Sunday, judging a manager after eight games, saying, well, he has had eight games. And I'm thinking, Ollie's had nearly three years. So I don't think it's unfair to ask critical questions. That's not to say that fans won't support. Fans sang his name in the away end at Leicester. I think when the team walk out against Atalanta, United will get a barrage of support, which they need. But there are worries. It's not just the results. United beat Villarreal, but Villarreal absolutely battered United for large parts of that first half. There's a lack of balance in the games. There's a lack of control in the matches. I know that people in the club 
get frustrated that these what they consider to be false narratives take over where just talk about in-game management or individual moments i can see both sides of that they feel that the goal against everton for example was worked on on the training ground it was nothing to do in an individual moment but that's how it gets recorded and it's just a frustrating time it doesn't help that rivals are playing so well either it's pretty daunting when you look at the fixtures coming up united are often at the best against the best but i feel pretty glum about the situation right now and i just think it's a lowering of expectations which isn't good but in terms of the manager's position my job as a journalist and, and Laurie's job and your job is to report on the, the the truth as we know and the facts and I haven't had any inkling whatsoever that um, the manager is going to be changed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get into some of the individuals then and the questions that they brought up after the weekend. Cristiano Ronaldo may be the biggest of those. Um, so in terms of um, the questions that we were asked, uh, Gabriel said, do you think from a football standpoint that signing Ronaldo wasn't the best idea? I mean, this has turned around pretty quickly, hasn't it, considering how excited we all were when Ronaldo signed. Uh, Michael Cox has written a great piece on The Athletic. Go and have a look about the tactical issues that Ronaldo uh, or the tactical issues around Ronaldo, shall we say, and how other clubs have coped with a lack of pressing. It's beginning to irritate me how much people are criticising how much he presses because we were talking about this before he even signed for United, that he doesn't press. Now, you're not suddenly going to get him to press, are you? So it, Michael sort of got into this idea that other players around him need to be able to, to sort of make up for that if you are going to press. I mean, Andy... Should Ronaldo be dropped? Are we at that point already? The, the reaction is so strong, um, considering how excited we were literally two or three weeks ago. And he's more or less scored a goal a game so far as well. The mood around him has, has slumped. Um, I mean, you could argue pretty strongly that he's making Manchester United worse, not better at the moment. He's never been someone to press. He wasn't the first time round. I, I said on a recent podcast that spoke to one of his former teammates who said it was Wayne Rooney and... Carlos Tevez, who did a lot of the running for him that that time, but Manchester United now look worse and better when it's Mason Greenwood and Edinson Cavani who finished last season in a much stronger position. Do you drop Ronaldo? It's a huge shout. You know he's such an important player, ego person within football. He wasn't 
bought to be dropped. He was bought to play almost all the time and score. And he has been scoring, but he's been really ineffective in recent weeks. So he was dropped against Everton. United actually were playing quite well until Everton scored. There were positives to be drawn from that. And you play that against a backdrop of, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's conversation being made public, which was a bit out of order, but it was being made public that you should pick your best players. But is Cristiano Ronaldo one of Manchester United's best players at the moment? I think you can argue pretty strongly that he isn't. He's been pretty anonymous in several matches recently. He needs players uh, around him. And I know that Edinson Cavani is not a 21-year-old, but I've seen him make some runs in matches where you think, while you are defying your age, I've seen less of that from Ronaldo. What I do know is in, in the dressing room, his signing was welcomed. It was seen as a, a positive influence by the other players. There's no disharmony there with Ronaldo being there. From a commercial perspective, absolutely no problems whatsoever there. They've, they've, they've completely welcomed it. But you look at that team at the moment and you think that there, there, there is a problem there. And when Ollie talked about needing to make a big decision, maybe that is uh, to drop Cristiano Ronaldo. And I can't really believe we're having this conversation so soon. Um, it, it feels like you've bought the bad ticket in, 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 in a lottery because he's been so good wherever he's been. There's never been any doubts about him. There was never any conversations about him at Madrid or, or at Juventus about dropping him. And now we're, we're talking about dropping him and we won't make the decision. But again, we know what we're watching. We can see for ourselves and it's pretty worrying. I wonder if we're at the point where people are eating dessert again at the training ground, Laurie, don't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, yeah, I'd love to know exactly um, who... Three sugars in my tea, please. Who's, who's had the tiramisu? Three. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, like I think he, he gave us such a rocket fuel of, of uh, jubilation amongst the squad. I don't, I don't think you can kind of look back and go, it was a, a mistake of a signing because... Of, of the calibre for those conclusions yeah, exactly. in it as well really yeah I mean it's it's it, otherwise we'll just you know look like a heart rate monitor that goes up and down and kind of you know <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get whip- it has been a bit like that yeah we'll get whiplash <laughs> sort of turning our neck so much but um yeah, I, 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 but so I think he, you know, he had to be signed, you know, particularly with the way that Man City were. It looked like they were going to get him. Um, it just, it just means that there's, there's more kind of consideration in terms of how United are going to function because Solskjaer had, had got this team where, um, you know, you, you've kind of got a young, kind of vibrant forward line. Okay, I'm, I'm saying Cavani within that because he kind of plays like, as Andy says, he you know, plays like a mid twenty year old, um, and and now you kind of have to adjust it. So it's it's just a bit of time to kind of figure that out. So, and, and Ronaldo is a is a bonus. You can't take take away that his experience, his pedigree, his, his technique. I mean, he did go close to scoring against Leicester. Um, you know, Kasper Schmeichel pulled off a decent save, but generally it felt a bit awkward. And, and obviously he stayed on the pitch the whole time. You know, it's, it's when you need a goal, he's not a guy that you take off in that situation. That would have brought even more uh, eyeballs to that you know particular dynamic. Um, but it just clearly. 
clearly it's sort of you know horses for courses maybe you know where Ronaldo actually starts against certain teams and doesn't against others you know Leicester you could tell the way they were going to play with Vardy and Iheanacho up front in terms of hassling United's defence and we'll get on to Harry Maguire's performance I think yeah but equally on the flip side you know you knew how they were going to play in defence and, and was Ronaldo the right sort of you know profile of player um to to contend with that it's really interesting having Marcus Rashford back he looked sharp, you know, straight from the get-go. Obviously scored a really good goal. Mason Greenwood. And then, you know, you're kind of thinking that's quite a young, vibrant forward line um, if they can kind of get a, a sort of relationship going as, as they have done previously. So, um, yeah, that I, I think the Ronaldo thing will always be something that we'll talk about, you know, for the next two years that he's, that he's at the club. Um, and, and clearly it's an issue to be ironed out you know <laughs> there's certainly some wrinkles there um but I think it's a bit too soon to say you know it was a you know it's a mistake or anything like that Andy what happened to Harry Maguire well he had a decent Euros didn't he didn't have a decent 90 minutes at Leicester did he I mean was it was it not he's not had a decent season I don't know whether there's a parallel there with, with Luke Shaw they were two of our best players um last season and they are two players you would expect to start all of the time and Ollie's been been loyal to them. I think what happened at Leicester is he was prepared to risk Harry Maguire more than he was prepared to risk Eric Bailly. So that shows the perception that the manager has him, Eric Bailly. And that is why Raphael Varane was signed. So, yeah, it's a bit unlucky to be missing two central defenders. And that can cost you dearly. You saw how... Badly, Liverpool suffered last year when they had all those defensive injuries. Ultimately, it cost them a, a title challenge. And I can see why Maguire, why Oli took a risk on him. I've seen pretty cheeky comments from some United fans saying it was Maguire's best game for Leicester, <laughs> which is a pretty dark line in humour. But it was horrific, that mistake. And I think with Maguire... Towards the end of last season, when he was absent, people started to really appreciate how good he was when he wasn't there. And he almost became a better player when he wasn't there. And there were some of the sort of sidelines. His whole family went to Gdansk, for example, even though they knew that he wasn't going to be playing in the hope that he was going to lift the cup. So showed that his family are really invested into Manchester United. He is as well. He's popular in the dressing room. He's a decent player, but he's not having a good season. Uh, Varane is still finding his, his feet. I've no doubt that Varane will be absolutely top, top notch. I think the defender who comes out of this season, um, the central defender, with the most credit would be Victor Lindelof. He's always been rated by those at the club. I've been completely consistent about about that. There's never any danger of him being sold when Raphael Varane came in. Things are looking pretty bleak for Eric Bailly. Axel Twanzerby was sold as well. And with Maguire, he'll know himself that he's not, he's not playing well. And when you concede errors like that, I mean, it was a beautiful finish. They both were those first two goals, but Ronaldo could have put Manchester United 2-0 up and suddenly you're then in a situation where it was one all with Leicester looking far more dangerous. But it wasn't just him. Leicester's first main attack came when Paul Pogba lost the, the ball, which goes back to the point that Laurie touched on about why United are playing Fred and McTominay. They feel it gives cover and security and legs because they'll chase for everything, which some of the other players 
don't don't do. I won't say that players down tools at Leicester, but there was a huge gap between how good they should have played and the actual reality. It wasn't just Harry Maguire. Several of those players were really poor. Yeah, you mentioned Paul Pogba there. Let's hear from him then. Uh, to be honest, you know, um, we've been we've been having those kind of games for for a long time, and we haven't found the like the problem. We need to find what's the problem to to concede goals, easy goals, say stupid goals when we know those games when you play uh, in this pitch the fans gonna push um, gonna put pressure on us and everything so we need to be we need to be more mature I think we need to play with more experience arrogance in a good term meaning that we there we have to take the ball and play our, our football but now you have to find what's what's the key of this uh, this change and this game that we lose because I think we deserve to lose today yeah I think it's all of us it's all of us we need to find we need to find something we need to change something I don't know if it's the mindset of all of us the players when we start Um, we really don't know it's frustrating because it's something that we don't understand and we have to find out very fast because if you want to compete and if you want to win the title it's, it's those games that you have to win even though that they are very hard even though that we play in a way, we need to find their game, we need to find the, the right uh, mentality, the right tactic to win those games. I think that's, uh, that's my fault. Then we, have, we will have time to think about it. Um, then after all together, we have to stay, stick together and, and find the, the problem. Similar to what I said about Solskjaer, really, to be honest. Very start from Pogba. Honest assessment, really, of the team's performance. Um, I think he started it by saying we've had a lot of these performances. Well, we've had a lot of those interviews, Laurie, as well, haven't we, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, at least you, you could tell that it was hurting him. You know, I think yeah. you, you could you could hear yeah. the tone of his voice and the fact that he was quite clinical in what he said. It was it was with merit. You know, it wasn't like it was sort of cliche stuff. I think he had you know points in there. I suppose the question would be if something needs to change, that that needs to come from the manager. You'd think, and obviously the individual players were uh, way below par. You know, Paul Pogba himself, you know, as Andy says, there was twice in the first five minutes where he gave away the ball and Matic had to kind of clean up. And I thought Matic had a pretty good game, to be fair, but he just hasn't got the legs um, that, you know, he once did have. Um, And there was the moment in the second half where Tielemans wins, you know, a 50-50, which probably was 60-40 to Pogba and and goes away and, and, and has that shot that De Gea tips onto the post. So clearly Paul Pogba, as he admitted, has to look at himself and say, could I have been better? But I suppose the overall um, idea of, of Manchester United's team needs to come from Solskjaer. And I guess that's the main thing that he's, he's alluding to because, um, I mean, I asked Solskjaer after the game in terms of it looked chaotic in defence, it looked pretty chaotic in attack. You know, what was the, what was the kind of general idea of, of that team? And, um, and Solskjaer didn't answer that particular question, but he said... He mentioned 50-50s and people will give him stick over that because they'll say it's more than, you know, desire and heart, which, you know, Solskjaer's alluded to before. But I do think at the, at the primary basis of it, running hard and, and making yourself difficult to get past and difficult to beat was an essential part of that game. You know, Leicester did it brilliantly, you know, in terms of hassling United, in terms of having more determination to win those balls. So I think that's a, a fair point. Um, but yeah, I mean... 
it comes it comes it stop Pogba's right something needs to change because it has you know th- th- that result obviously seems a bit of an anomaly 4-2 you know it's, as Andy says it's the first time they've conceded four goals you know for a long time um it, it ended the unbeaten away run you know a, a long long unbeaten away run now obviously that's now with fans back in the ground and it, it felt different being in the King Power Stadium where you've got fans on edge and, and you know kind of really anticipating stuff and does that play into um, players psychology um so, but but it it felt also you know perhaps symptomatic of where United have been at, where they haven't had control of games, where it's been end to end, and and something like this was going to happen sooner or later. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yep, Pogba demanding changes, and Andy Corrie's been asking as well, what changes can you foresee Oli making to the team in the upcoming big games to bring about improvement? Because we've got some big matches coming up, as we've been saying already. Got huge games. He, he does have the liberty to make some changes now because players will be back from internationals. got Marcus Rashford back, so he's got more choice than he's had. Obviously, still got the issue of Varane. I think the focus is only on about beating Atalanta. Uh, to be fair to Ollie, he said this is only about Leicester before the weekend. That horrible cliche of each game as it comes. I do genuinely think that that, that is true. Although Ollie does have his issues with games being played immediately after the, the European matches and the timing of those. Atalanta is a massive game. They might actually uh, play to United's strengths. And as Laurie said, yeah, they did beat Empoli 4-1 at the weekend. They've played five away games at Atalanta. They've won three and, and drawn two. They've definitely got something. They've become Champions League regulars. 
they like to attack, but they're also unpredictable. Someone said to me they're like the Leeds United of, of, of Italy. And United need to come up with a good performance and beat Atalanta. I really don't think people would stomach another, um, not just defeat, but what happened with Villarreal coming to Old Trafford and outplaying Manchester United. That was a real shocker when that happened. And when people first looked at this group, and this is a group United have got to get out of, absolutely got to get out of this. I think if United don't get out of this group, that is a major, major problem uh, for the manager. And if you want to look at it through cynical eyes about the Glazers wanting to be in the Champions League, then you can do that in that case because Manchester United going out of the Champions League and into the Europa League, if that happens again, which is nowhere near as lucrative, Ronaldo wasn't bought to play in the Europa League. Is he even going to play in the Champions League? We bring us back to that question. I don't know what he's going to plan against Atalanta. United are absolutely doing all the research into Atalanta. They've got time on the training ground. There's no travel this week. The, the players are back together at Carrington. But they've got to produce a performance out of it. I suppose in you asking the question, you're thinking, is he going to drop Ronaldo? I don't know. I would be surprised. What do you think, Laurie? Well, he mentioned before the Leicester game that, you know, Edison Cavani and Fred would be back for the Wednesday, you know. So I, I kind of, I, I'm reading into that, that actually he does want energy there. And I, I could see Cavani and Fred both starting that game. If that does happen and Ronaldo doesn't start against Atalanta, that means presumably that he starts against Liverpool. Uh, and, and I think we've talked about it a little bit on previous podcasts about this idea of, of one of the sort of key plans tactical plans that Solskjaer's had against Liverpool is playing split centre-forwards who would run in behind the full-backs. Now, I don't think Ronaldo's going to do that, is he? Um, presumably, if he doesn't play against Atalanta, he has to start against Liverpool. It's unthinkable that he'd miss two matches in a row, but even just missing Liverpool on its own as a symbol, it's a, it's a massive call, Laurie, isn't it? Yeah, huge, yeah. <laughs> it, that's why all this, this period feels so knife-edged, really, because... The results are massive. The selections that Solskjaer makes will be hugely scrutinised and picked over. And it's, it's big personalities. That's that's the difference now. I suppose before Solskjaer had a squad where you know he, he could exert authority absolutely. Now you've got Ronaldo, who whom, you know has his own opinions on football and, and, and perhaps might ask a few questions. You've got Paul Pogba, similarly. Bruno Fernandes, obviously, isn't a shrinking violet. So you've got you know people there that have their own minds, and and that's what managing at elite level. That's what makes it difficult because you've got these egos to kind of you know get into one team and and kind of keep satisfied. Like Andy's referred to as well, there's not much in the way of sort of breathing space or margin of error for United after that defeat to young boys Andy is there? No there's not if you want me to predict the Liverpool scoreline now best case is a nil-nil because he's done that before he can play that but you're quite right drop Ronaldo against Liverpool because United when they play against the best teams they need the forwards to work the backsides off best example of that was City way last season Anthony Martial man of the match did exactly what was asked for him but even going into that United knew that they needed luck on the side. They knew that City would break their lines. And the way Liverpool are playing at the moment, it's a huge game. The last time Liverpool came to Old Trafford, 1-4-2, didn't really matter. Manchester United had done the hard work. They'd finished second. This is a huge game, as is Atalanta. They all are at the moment, but we could keep coming back here and saying the mood's really bad, another bad defeat. Um, fans are looking for solutions, but the players are looking for solutions as well. But it's one thing Paul Pogba talking and talking well, 
you've got to deliver as well. And he didn't play particularly well at Leicester. Started the season really well, like so many other players. The players have got to find it as well. And the manager clearly has got to find solutions. It's his job to do that. But it's also on the players this as well. Let's round off the podcast then with a couple of final questions, if that's all right. Along the same theme. Uh, so, Laurie, I'll come to you first, actually. Henry says, who would pick the next manager if Ollie went and how qualified are they to choose? It's a really big question because obviously Ed Woodward's on his way out and now you might say how qualified was he to pick any manager previously um, uh, with, with good merit, I think. Um, you know, But he's due to step down at the end of this year. Uh, the, the strategy for replacing him has begun. Um, you know, Richard Arnold is who we expect will take over from him. Now, Richard Arnold's background is in commercial. It's not in football. So I, even then you'd think, is he really somebody who would, you know, get involved in uh, you know, the micro uh, management of that situation? Joel Glazer ultimately is the owner, you know, that, that takes most hands-on approach with Manchester United. It will be his call in conjunction with, you know, his board members, um, and as we say, at the moment, there's no, you know, it's unwavering the faith in Solskjaer. So it's kind of a little bit of a hypothetical one at the moment. But it does ask the question, if, you know, if, if Richard Arnold is, is brought in to replace Edward Wood, would he, you know, would, is his first act, would he want to get rid of a manager? And then, how would it, you know, it, it complicates matters for a managerial search, you know, having a kind of a bit of a gap at, at that level. Um so yeah, it, that's that's another complex situation to to kind of consider in it all, um, and and yeah, I mean, I guess you know you'd have you've got a few other people with football acumen there, you know, um, Sir Alex Ferguson clearly um, it still has you know the ear, you know, he, he was very involved in the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo, so would he be asked? It's a really fascinating one to sort of figure out exactly who would make that call and and who would then make the the follow up appointment. And did you think Sir Alex would have a say? I know. He's felt that his say hasn't always been listened to at times when he's left the club. Uh, he deliberately backed out when he left. He said, you're not going to see me around. Manchester United wanted to avoid the mistakes. Uh, when Smack Busby stepped down, he, he still kept an office at Old Trafford. The players would go running to him and subsequent managers felt completely undermined by that. I don't think that's been a big issue. Um, with Sir Alex, um, Jose Mourinho was the first manager to bring him back to, to, to Carrington. But he's Sir Alex Ferguson. Richard uh, Arnold's background is in commercial. He's not a football man. He shouldn't be making any decisions on um, football managers. Uh, I don't think he would expect to either. It is Joe Glazer, but he would be taking advice off the people paid to give uh, the advice. Chiefly uh, Darren Fletcher, for one of them. Um John Murta would would be in that, but someone like Fletcher would be would be um, very important. And then you've got other football people um, at the club as well. But as Laurie said, it is very hypothetical at the moment. Um, there are no plans to change the manager, and if they do, I think they just bring Steve Bruce straight in. They're just waiting for him to be sacked from Newcastle. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Do you know, it is hypothetical, but it, it's just a reflection of the questions that we're getting asked. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are beginning to speculate about this. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? That uh, the sort of vacuum of the international break would bring this. And obviously the result against Leicester's only really brought more questions. Um, John's got an interesting point. He seems to have found a solution already to this hypothetical situation that's not actually uh, cropped up yet. He says, what about Zinedine Zidane? He's free. He's managed Ronaldo and he's a big fan of Pogba. Done. Laurie. Easy. 
Well, you could see the appeal from a United point of view in terms of the, you know, uh, the, the the kind of stardust that that might sprinkle, and the fact that he's won trophies, and you know, he obviously has managed big egos. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm unsure as to whether he would want that job um, or not. He might have his eye somewhere else. Um, and uh, yeah, but I mean, Zidane, you know, he's, a, he, he's he's probably one of those. There's probably only a few managers now that are of that sort of rarefied air where you could see United saying, yeah, we'll appoint you as manager because um, clearly it, it, it's such a big job that you, you can't kind of give it to um, somebody that is kind of developing, you know, and kind of needs a bit of time to, to kind of settle in. You know, it needs to be somebody that's already well-versed in that kind of magnitude of, of a position. Very last word then on all of this before we wrap it up. Andy, um, in order to stop these questions, in order to stop this uncertainty, obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs results. What else do you want to see from him in these next sort of couple of matches this next week? Results primarily, but performances, because we're seeing, as Paul Pogba touched on, the same thing happening game after game. People aren't that surprised when Everton come to Old Trafford and get a draw. Even when Aston Villa come to Old Trafford and, and do what they did. United need to get more control within the matches. There needs to be more balance. They need to learn um, to, to, to stop going behind in matches. I mean, there's like a list of 20 different things that could keep going on and on. And it's, and it, and it, and it's a real problem. But but results um, will, will change all. And results have actually been masking some of the problems so far. What do you want to see, Laurie? Just would like to see United have... A, a bit of heat, a bit of teamwork about them um, for for the whole match, you know, for the whole duration of a game. More of a plan? More of a plan, I suppose. You know, I, I don't subscribe to this idea that, you know, every team has to have a, a crystal clear philosophy that you can, you know, you can see the team and, and, and that's there. You know, you change the colour of the shirt and you still know what, what team it is. I kind of feel like you, you can have a team of, of really good players that know how each other works and, and getting that understanding can develop and, and, and you know, they perhaps change from, from week to week depending on who they're playing. But um, yeah, but I, I kind of want, you know, you just want a, a team that looks like a team because against Leicester, they didn't look like a team. It looked like a lot of players didn't really know exactly what their tasks were. The width wasn't there. Um, the turnover was was far too easy, um, far too brittle. So you kind of you just want a, 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 a. There's only been the the Leeds game, and even that game was kind of you know end to end really because of how Leeds played. Uh, I would say the West Ham game actually United did have a fair bit of control throughout most of it. I know it took a late winner, but they're the only two games really where you thought United have have put themselves out there and have kind of you know dominated the situation. You know all the other games have been you know kind of ebb and flow. So I kind of would like a return to a situation where United have have a lot of possession of the ball and and look composed and calm and and you know full of creativity. Okay, remember you can still get involved with the conversation and ask questions on Talk of the Devils. All you need to do is to get a subscription to the Athletic and look out for Laurie's requests and Kyle's requests when he's here as well on the real-time section of the Athletic app. You can still get a 33% discount as well off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But that's it for now. Thank you to Laurie. Thank you to Andy. I think we'll all hope for better against Atalanta this week. But whatever happens, we will be back here on Thursday to look back on that and also to preview our game against Liverpool as well. Until then, from all of us at Talk of the Devils, goodbye.
The Athletic.